Welcome and greetings, career-minded superstars. You are listening to the exclusive Career Coach, your podcast for all things career. And I'm Lisa Edwards, the indispensable career coach for superstars just like you. Now let's dig into this week's topic, shall we? Hi there. I want to tell you about my webinars that are going to be coming up every month. I want you to check out my website and see what this month's webinar topic is and sign up. The format is going to be the same every month, even though the topics are going to change. It's going to be a huge variety of career-related topics. I'm going to give you a deep dive into content about that topic for about 30 minutes, and then you're going to have a chance for 30 minutes of Q&A in the chat box while I'm, I'm teaching you. You can ask me a question, and then if you're really brave, and I hope you will be, you can be volunteered to coach live on that month's topic so you can raise your hand and I'll coach you. I want to give you that URL so that you can go to my website, see what the next topic is and sign up. So go to http colon backslash backslash nope. So go to my website at exclusivecareercoaching.com forward slash webinar sign up see what this month's topic is, see when and, and, and what time it is, sign up and, uh, and get in there and participate with me. I look forward to having you there. Thanks. Hi there. So this is a continuation of a Q&A session that I did with two college students with their career questions, everything from internships to LinkedIn to interviews to resumes. Um, all of that we've covered, and this is part two, so I hope you enjoy. Thanks so much. Okay, so you mentioned the recommendation section of LinkedIn, and I'm wanting to know if somebody doesn't have a close relationship with their employer or um, internship sponsor, how do they ask for a letter of recommendation? Well, the best way to do it, regardless of whether they know the person well, is to ask them in writing and be real specific. So, you know, if there's a particular project that you want the recommender to talk about or a specific skill, I always tell people to think real strategically about their brand and what pieces of their brand they want the different recommenders to talk about. I think about it like a puzzle. So, you know, maybe there's five pieces to my brand and each one of those is like a puzzle piece. And so who can talk about this puzzle piece? Who could talk about this puzzle piece? And I always want to ask two people for every one recommendation that I want, because there's no harm. I mean, I have over 40 recommendations on LinkedIn, so it's not going to hurt you to have, you know, more than three is the basic minimum that LinkedIn um, suggests. I suggest a minimum of 10, because I don't think three gives you enough to really talk about your brand. So in terms of someone that you don't know, well, I think the key thing is to give them plenty of lead time. So do it in writing and anticipate that you will have to do it multiple times. So if there's a deadline, so let's say it's something for a graduate school or something to do with a job where there is a hard deadline that you're dealing with and you need that recommendation by a certain date, then really give them plenty of time, maybe six weeks if you can, and then be prepared to make additional <laughs> requests nicely. As much as you may be getting frustrated by them, ask it very nicely. But the more information that you can give them, the better. Now, the flip side of that is that someone who doesn't know you as well is probably, is probably not going to be able to write as strong of a recommendation as someone who knows you well. So really think about that because I think sometimes people want to ask, 
you know, the president of something, the university or the company that they worked at or, you know, some legislative person thinking that that will have a lot of sway. And if that person can only write in very vague terms about you, then probably it's not going to be a great recommendation. So continuing with LinkedIn, how do I make more connections on LinkedIn? <sighs> it's definitely not as easy as Twitter followers. <laughs> <laughs> it is. I promise you it's super easy. So you know, what most people do is start with who they know, and so they just sort of rack their brain and think about it, and that's kind of okay, and that'll get you some connections, but 500 is the minimum that LinkedIn wants you to have to be kind of all-star all status, and really LinkedIn, the more the merrier, and I'll talk about why that is so in a moment. There's a, an advanced search function in LinkedIn, so up in the top there's a search bar, so if you wanted to put somebody's name in, if I wanted to put your name in, I could do that and find you. But what I can also do is I can go up there and click on the little magnifying glass in that same search bar, and that opens up some search criteria. So I can put in someone's name, but I could also put in a company. So maybe I knew a lot of people, like for the example, the internship that you worked at last summer, put that company in there and see who comes up. You can put in a geographic region, so you could put in Jacksonville or Tallahassee or a zip code. Um, you can put in keywords, so who do I know, and you could like combine some things, like who do I know that's got marketing in their profile that lives in Jacksonville or lives in Tallahassee or wherever. So combine some things to get, um, just to see what you get, and then start connecting with those people. I always tell folks if you have fewer than 500 connections, go for quantity. And then when you get 500, go for quality. Then be really selective about, you know, very strategic about who I'm connecting with. And the reason I say that is that you don't have a lot of bargaining chips when you have only a couple of hundred connections. And so someone who doesn't know you, if I, if I look at my situation, I had someone just this weekend who reached out to me who was a, a, had a connection. We had a connection in common, but I didn't know her at all. She had like 63 connections and her profile was not built out at all. I'm not willing to give her access to my 4,400 connections in exchange for her 63 connections. I don't know her. So she doesn't have the bargaining tools to, to be of use to me. So if you get that number up, connect with as many people as you can, then if you want to hit, you know, a human resources manager at a company that you really want to work for or a director of the marketing department or the, the editing department or whatever, you're going to have a little bit more bargaining chips. So they'll be a little bit stronger. And the more connections you have. So here's the, here's the reason that that number is so important. When someone searches on LinkedIn, the way the searches come up is, first of all, their first level connections. So the people they're already connected with. So if they're, they put in a search criteria, I'm looking for people who work at, uh, who work in marketing. The people they're already connected to, their first level connections, they come up first. Their second level connections, so the people that those people are connected to, come up next. The next thing down, which no one ever goes that far, is the third level connections. So those are two offs and then kind of the rest of the world, right? So the more people you're connected to, the more second level connections you have, it moves you up. So the more people you can, this is no kidding, and I'm not saying this to, to, to brag on myself, but just to show you the power of it. So I had a client who was in human resources in California. We did a search on human resources people in California for him to see who he knew, who he could connect with. The first page of people for human resources in California, I was connected to every one of them. Wow. So, and that's the power of, of having all those connections and then having all those second level connections. Right. So, 
there you go. There's my soapbox. <laughs> Great. Thank you. Um, so there's a section at the bottom of the LinkedIn profile that says endorsements. Uh, can you kind of explain to us what endorsements are? How do I get endorsements? Sure. Yeah, I, I suggest that the endorsement section be pretty organic. So whereas I want you to go out and ask people to write those recommendations for you, I don't necessarily recommend that you ask people to endorse you. If you endorse people, they will typically come back and endorse you. I don't see a ton of value in that section. I think for the most, point, most part, it's useful from a search engine optimization standpoint. So make sure that you have the skills that you want to be known for. So um, I always tell people to edit that, that section of their profile every year because, you know, you start using new skills, you quit using old skills, um, things become less and more relevant to you. So you want to kind of clean that thing up, do a little hygiene with it every year. But the idea is that, you know, you, maybe you join, you connect with a new person and go on there and look and see if you can't endorse them for a couple things. And a lot of times it's kind of a quid pro quo. They'll come back and do it for you. Um, I think the main value of that is, you know, if I if I look at a profile like mine and they go on there and they see that more than 100 people have, have endorsed me for profile writing or resume writing. So that, you know, kind of gives them an idea, like this person is very strong in this area. So um, I wouldn't spend a ton of time. I would build that section and then just let it grow organically. Right. So how often should I be updating my LinkedIn profile? <sighs> at least once a year, but really when you're when you're in a job search, you know, it might be that quarterly or even more often you want to take a look at that thing. But certainly once a year, I want you to go in there and, and edit that thing and see, um, is it still on brand? Am I still talking about the skills that I that I most want to use? Is my you know, have I put my most recent job and job title and job duties on there? Um, are there new people that I've connected with that I really want to get a recommendation from? So at minimum, once a year. I have people in my network who I know left the job that they have as their current job seven years ago. And there's just no, there's no excuse for that. Because from an employment standpoint, it's not enough to just have a profile now. It's got to be really active and sharp and you've got to have a lot of connections so it's you need to have a really stellar profile and they'll know if it's completely dated right um so while we were asking friends about linkedin and resumes the topic of business cards came up <laughs> um like what the um, heck yeah <laughs> what the heck really um so when should i consider creating a business card if even at all uh and when do i use them I think they're kind of hokey, if you want my honest <laughs> opinion. I think they're kind of dorky. You know, I mean, if you're going to be out networking, so you're going to go to a Chamber of Commerce event, or you're going to tag along with somebody to a Rotary meeting, or uh, a SHRM, which is the Society for Human Resource Management, that's a great group to go to because that's all the HR folks um, in, the, in that city. You know, really just bring along some copies of your resume, maybe... But even, you know, with, with today and kind of how things work, just grab their business card. Like if somebody expresses an interest in you, say, hey, I would love to send you my, my resume and maybe there's something else that, you know, a, a sample of my work or, you know, whatever they've asked about or seem interested in. And then that gives you a chance to get in front of them again, right? So if you give them the resume there, you don't know whether they'll ever look at it. But now that you've got a chance to get them when they're back in their office and you can send it to them. So I'd much rather do that. I see... I just think it just kind of strikes me as being a little bit too much. A little hokey. I feel like it's a little, you know, like I have business cards, but I also have 
a business. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, you know, if you don't have a business, it's just kind of weird. I think it's part of it's because I'm of the age and I, I don't remember this time, but my mother was of the time where there was such thing called calling cards. Have y'all ever heard of this? No. It's great. Yet. It's great because women didn't work, right? <laughs> and so they had nothing else to do all day long and they would go visit people and they had calling cards and this is their way of like, I was here to visit mm -hmm. you. Oh. And I don't know, there's just something about you know, people who don't have a business with business cards that just reminds me of, you know, yeah. <laughs> stop by to see you today. Sorry, I missed you. I brought you some chicken salad. <laughs> so um, on the subject of networking, if I don't know anyone in my field, how do I begin networking? Uh, you start with who you do know, because here's the thing. There are people in your life who are not at all connected to your field, who are just what I call centers of influence. So if I were looking for any job in any field at any company in Tallahassee, Florida, I have a friend named Dina, and I would reach out to Dina, and I would say, okay, Dina, who do you know? Like, get me hooked up here, because she just knows a lot of people. So we all have those folks, right? We just know they're very well connected. And people know people in other industries. They have spouses who work in different companies. They have brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles and nieces and nephews who work in different companies. They have neighbors and friends and people they go to church with. So I don't ever pre-qualify anybody. But what I will say about the whole networking thing and, and you know not knowing people, LinkedIn is your best friend in that regard because not only can you find people on there, but you can see how you're connected to them. So for example, if you know that you want to connect up eventually with the director of marketing at a particular company, find them on LinkedIn and see, you know, trace the path between you and them. How can I get to them? Who, who are the common denominators? Is there one person between us? Is there two people between us? And then work that, you know, that path to get to that person. So you've got folks. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we're talking about networking with people, and we know that networking fairs are a thing. You mentioned our career center does hold a lot of them. Um, do you have any tips for navigating networking fairs? Like a career fair? Yeah. yeah. Like, um, so if I see somebody in a networking fair that I want to speak to, um, any tips for just going up to them and kind of giving them my, my pitch? Practice your elevator pitch. So come up with a little 30-second speech. Um, one little tip is don't automatically hand them your resume because then their focus goes down to the paper and they quit looking at you and you want them to have good eye contact with you. So don't, you know, don't immediately pull out a resume. I think it's a kind of a crutch that sometimes we want to do. It feels comfortable that way. It feels safe. But I want you to have a conversation with them. So you practice your little elevator pitch. You make sure you have a good firm handshake. You make good eye contact. And then you listen to what they have to say and you ask intelligent questions. And in terms of kind of strategizing about the whole fair, I always say, have a list of companies that you know you want to talk to. So you've got your, you know, you've looked at the list of who's going to be there and you've got maybe half a dozen. But then I also want you to be kind of flexible. So you go in there and you see, uh, you know, a company that you like their display or the people seem very approachable or they've got good giveaways or something. And a lot of times those are the companies that you really are. You've never heard of them, never thought about them. But once you have that conversation, you get really interested in them. So there's that kind of balance between being having a plan and also being flexible. So um, I don't know about this, but for as a sophomore, I don't really have experience in networking. So what are your best networking tips for like a newbie? Do it. <laughs> <laughs> Get out of your comfort zone and do it. Having a little bit of a, a pitch and 
pitches are kind of situational, right? So, you know, you might start with like, I'm a, I'm a sophomore and I'm majoring in blah, blah, blah. In, in another setting, it might be, I'm a student at Florida State University. You know, you wouldn't say that at, at FSU because it'd be like, yeah, so am I. Um, but in another setting, you know, so kind of think about the setting that you're going to be in and what's the appropriate kind of way to introduce yourself. Um, you know, make sure you have a good, strong handshake. I cannot emphasize that one enough. If it's a wimpy, icky, I call it a church handshake. Like, you know, it's one of those. Like, yeah. Oh, it's, I feel like someone has died recently when you get that handshake. Um, that's, that's a big part of it. And then really it is just a matter of practicing it. Do it and kind of, you know, be nice to yourself, but also give yourself a little critique afterwards on what went well, what didn't go well. Um, certainly there's tips about the room itself. Like if you, if you hang out by the food or the drink, that's where you're going to run into people. If you stick yourself in a corner, you're not going to have that influx of people. And it's also much more likely that you get monopolized by somebody. I typically go into those events with a goal. Like I want to, I want to talk to, you know, maybe certain people that I know are going to be there, or I want to talk to a certain number of people, or I'm going to stay 30 minutes. Like if, if you were really uncomfortable with the whole process, you'd be like, okay, I'm going to stay here for 30 minutes. I'm going to do as much as I can. And then I get to go home. Woo. Right. And just, and, and then, you know, learn from that experience and kind of grow and get more comfortable with it. My last question about networking, what makes a good, memorable elevator pitch? So maybe like three things that every elevator pitch should have. Your name. Yes. <laughs> Something about your, for, mo for most um, students, because they're going to be networking around jobs, so something about their major or their, you know, the, the program that they're in, something academic is going to be useful for them. And then, you know, what can you say about yourself to make yourself interesting? So what is a little fact that isn't kind of the noise that they're going to hear from everybody else, right? So I think what, what most people do is they kind of say what they think the other, what the company wants to hear, right? If they're networking with an employer, like, oh, I've heard such great things about your company. And the employer's like, yes, that's what everybody says. So what can you say to make yourself different? So whether that's some little interesting, because you can give personal information as long as it's not positive or not negative information, it's neutral or positive. So I was born and raised in the smallest town in Florida. We're in, you know, I went to the same school for all, you know, 13 years or I don't know, something I, I, I'm, um, my, my softball team went to state all four years when I was in high school. You know, something interesting like that, right? There's nothing negative about that, but it is personal. So you're kind of opening yourself up to them. So moving from networking to interviewing, how long should I wait after an interview until I send a follow-up email asking about a position? So the first thing I would do right after the interview is send the thank you note. And so, <laughs> yeah, so I'm still a fan of good old fashioned written thank you notes when you can. Um, and I say that because sometimes the situation, maybe they're going to hire really quick or, you know, just geographically there's a problem with that and it doesn't make sense. Or sometimes you, your experience with the interviewer is such that you feel like an electronic communication is more effective for that individual but you know certainly if you're interviewing with someone you know of my age us, us baby boomers and maybe the gen xers too um we like a handwritten note so i can remember going to an interview uh, back a few years ago but i took my really nice um stationery with me I wrote out all the thank you notes that night after the interview, and I slipped them under everybody's door. I was at a university. Slipped them under the doors before the, the car came to take me off to the airport. 
and um, so that you know that worked really well. So you want to do that as quickly as possible. I've had people who I have interviewed at higher education, and they've clearly gone out to their car and written the thank you note and brought it right back in, which I thought was beautiful. Now, I can always read and tell that it's been written before the interview. <laughs> it's very generic, so don't do that. So wait until after the interview. But in terms of kind of checking in with them, I would give them a couple of days. I think really the, the main thing is you want to find out before you leave that room what their hiring process is. So if they say to you, we're going to be interviewing candidates for the next two weeks, then you don't want to call them in two or three days because they're in the throes of all the interviews. Maybe you were the first candidate. But if they tell you you're our last candidate and we're going to make a decision, you know, we're, we have a meeting scheduled for Friday, then you probably want to call them Friday, right? So really asking that question before you walk out of the interview room, what's the next step in the hiring process? That's going to really help to guide you. Um, but yeah, you definitely want to follow up and check in on them. And so you mentioned asking questions um, during an interview. They're obviously asking us a set of mm -hmm. questions, but um, what are some questions that we should be asking the interviewer about maybe the company or what we should expect? Sure. So a couple things. I really like my, my homework about that company, my, my research to drive those questions. And so I get, I want to know more about the company than anybody that's interviewing me. Like I'm going to get in there and I'm going to dig in. This is like a big exam. I'm going to do well and I want to study. And so as I'm looking through their website and I'm looking through, you know, industry journals and, and reading whatever I can find, I'm Googling them, whatever I can find. A lot of times my questions are pretty organic from that research. I also want to take into consideration who's interviewing me. So if I'm interviewing somebody from HR, questions about the benefits plan and, you know, the health insurance and um, paid time off, some of those kinds of things are very appropriate. You know, if I ask those questions to my line manager, they may not know the answer because you really want to ask questions that the person you're asking can answer because it just doesn't feel good when they, I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea what you're, you know, to, how to answer your question. So if I'm interviewing with the manager, the person who would be my direct report, I want to ask things about maybe the culture in the department. What are some of the goals for the department? Tell me a little bit. How would you describe the team environment? What are the strengths and the weaknesses of your current team? You know, what are some of the projects you're working on right now? If I'm interviewing with the, sometimes you're coming in and interviewing with like the CEO or the president or somebody, they're just, you know, it's kind of a, a quick interview. I'm going to ask them a very big picture, 40,000 foot question about the company. So really think about who you're interviewing. I always recommend that you go into those interviews with a padfolio and then I have a page for each person. So if I'm going through what's called a serial interview where I'm going through a bunch of, you know, different interviews with different people, I'm going to have a page for each one. So going off what you said about like benefits, asking benefits about the company in an interview, should I bring up salary during an interview? Typically not in the initial interview. Now, sometimes I get a lot of questions about what happens when the company asks me about my salary recommendation or my salary requirements. And my answer to that is to deflect, 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 be vague. So try to deflect it three times and if that doesn't work give them a really vague response like I think something in the you know range would be good but in terms of you asking the question you really want to make sure that you understand the job that you're kind of far enough along the line so that first of all they know what they're getting from you and second of all you know what the job requires and, and an example I like to use is maybe you pick a pick a number whatever that number is and you think this sounds like a really good salary 
and you throw that number out there and then in a subsequent interview you find out oh did we mention that you're on 24-hour call you have to work every other weekend and no one leaves here before 9 p.m. And all of a sudden you're thinking, you're doing the math in your head and you're going, oh, I, in other words, I'm going to work for $2.12 an hour. Oh, great. Right? So you want to make sure that you're far enough along so that you can have that conversation. In terms of negotiating your salary and negotiating anything about your benefits package, you have a window of opportunity that is from the time a bona fide offer is made until the time you accept. So you want to make sure they've given you an actual offer. So they're not just kind of feeling you out. They're like, okay, we want to hire you, and here's the offer. And then once you say yes, they're not going to negotiate it. They're done, right? So you have that window to make any negotiations, and that's really the only time that you can effectively negotiate any part of that. Um, speaking of negotiations, as a college student, if I just graduated, mm-hmm. how much wiggle room do I have between... Because, I mean, let's think that I'm going to get an entry-level-ish mm-hmm. job. Um, how, yeah, how much wiggle room do I have there? I, you know, I think you have a little bit. Now, if you're dealing with government, state jobs, um, you know, schools, that kind of thing, you have virtually no wiggle room. But if you're with a company, you've got a little bit of wiggle room. And so the best the best recommendation I can give is to do some research. So things like salary.com, which gives you kind of a local calculator. So let's say you've decided you want a job in New York City or San Francisco or Boston. Well, the the cost of living is very different there. So you kind of want to know apples to apples. What is a, you know, if I want to make 50 in Jacksonville, Florida, what does that look like? What does that equal in New York City or Boston or wherever? So that's one piece of it. The other piece is doing some research in the Department of Labor is a great resource for, uh, and also, Um, The universities get something from, um, it's called the National Association of Colleges Employers. They do a national survey every, several times a year. And so they're getting first, it's called first destination data. So they know every student they can get their hands on, how much money they make, what's their job title. So you've got that kind of data from your school. You've also got Department of Labor data. So you're doing, you're doing data on the geographic region, but you're also doing data on what's the, what's a reasonable salary for the work that I'm doing. And then you want to think about are there things about me that I'm bringing more to the table, right? So, you know, maybe I have a master's degree. Maybe I'm, I have multiple languages that I speak or a specific programming language if I was in a technical field or a cer- certain technical skill. Um, so is there something else that should maybe bump that salary up a little bit? So you've got a little bit of room, not, not a ton <laughs> like you would you know, at higher levels, but yeah, a little bit. And it's so important that you kind of get everything you can at the beginning because a lot of times your future um, increases are a percentage of what you were making before. So their trajectory, you know, kind of widens. So, you know, maybe it's only a thousand dollars difference when you start out, but five years from now, it's, it's a much bigger difference. So backtracking to like interviews, how do I showcase my personality in an interview? I think the best thing is kind of what I was talking about a little while ago about talking about yourself a little bit personal. So like when they ask you the question, tell me about yourself, you know, you want to talk about where you came from professionally and where you're at now and where you're going professionally, but then also tell them a little bit about yourself, right? Um, Again, neutral or positive information. I had a woman, bless her heart, interviewing for a secretarial position. I said, tell me about yourself. She said, well, I'm a single mom. I have three preschool children. I'm in the National Guard. Could not ask her any of those things legally, but once she gave that to me, I couldn't help but come to the conclusion 
that she wouldn't come to work very often. There was going to be a lot of reasons that she wouldn't show up for work. So you want to give neutral or positive information. But yeah, if you've got a great sense of humor, let it out. If you are, you know, enthusiastic and exciting, I don't want you to be, you know, if you're normally a very quiet person, I don't want you to, you know, because then you're going to look creepy if you're like, yeah. You know, they're like, oh, she was, was she on something or... You know, maybe too much caffeine this morning, what was going on? Because it won't be natural for you. But I want you to be yourself because they need to evaluate who you really... Kind of like if you go on a date and you're like, I'm going to be this other person because I think that's what he wants, right? And then when he finds out who you really are, he's like, no, not, no, thank you. No, no, never mind. So be yourself. And just as, as the interview, you know, progresses... Let that come out because that's what they're looking at just as much as they are your skills and your education and all of that. Well, that was all questions we had. Yay! (laughs) That was great. That was great. Well, I hope you guys got a lot out of this. And uh, if you have any questions about your upcoming graduation from college or maybe graduation was a few years ago, be sure to write me a question in the comments. Um, Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. And I will see you next week. You guys say bye. 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 You've been listening to the Exclusive Career Coach with Lisa Edwards, CEO of Exclusive Career Coaching. It would be great if you would rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. Also, I want to be your career coach. So be sure to ask questions about your career management challenges and job search situation. Until next time.